book, God is Just Like Jesus. You can email me at Chris at God is Just Like Jesus if you want a copy of it or if you want information about the online Zoom meetings where we go through passages and discuss the material we read. You can also search um, iTunes or Spotify for God is Just Like Jesus for the podcasts. Search YouTube or Instagram or Facebook for the same name. All right. Today we're looking at a, a good one, some good old screw-ups of the disciples and how Jesus responds. So uh, engage with this one because it's really rich. This is Mark, 30, Mark 9, 53 and on. And this is again about two-thirds of the way through Jesus's three-and-a-half-year ministry before he dies. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. <laughs> Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Mark 9, 53 and on. Okay, so I want you to take a moment, and I want you, if you're in a group or on your own, discuss what are the disciples doing? What has Jesus just said and what are the disciples doing? Break that out a little bit and then hit the pause button and come back. Okay, I really like this passage because he's uh, telling them, you have identified correctly, I am the unique one and only Messiah in the entire world but what I'm going to do is not going to go according to your expectations. You expect me to like mobilize the Jewish people like King David did, overthrow Rome and take back the land. And he goes, the first thing I'm doing is spiritual renewal in this time of my time on the earth. He goes, I will do the rest, but that's at the end of the age. And, and they didn't understand all of that. So he tells them he's going to die and go to the cross to bear our sins on the cross and uh, and really create forgiveness and satisfy justice at the same at the same moment so divine justice is totally satisfied by by Jesus's death on the cross and so he starts telling this and they probably because they're trying to figure out succession issues who will be the next leader what would they're gonna do they start arguing about who's the greatest and you know we, I, I like it. We just need to be honest. It's good, raw pride, raw sin, raw arrogance and competition. I think we need to call it out because this doesn't happen just once. It's recorded four different times in the Gospels, and I bet it happened a lot more time than that. And I can imagine the disciples, you know, saying things like, Peter said, well, you know, when he called me, he called me the rock, so I'm clearly the greatest. And uh, besides, I walked on water. And James and John could say, uh, you sank? And Peter could reply, yeah, but I'm the only one that got out of the boat, right? <laughs> Clearly, you guys aren't the greatest. And they, and they could say, well, we were on the Mount of Transfiguration 
when he was transformed and revealed his divine identity. He was talking with Moses and Elijah. We were there. And Peter could say, well, I was there too. And they could say, yeah, but you started popping up and talking nonsense and you wrecked the whole holy moment <laughs> and shut the whole thing down. And, and Peter could say, yeah, but I was the one who figured out, you know, Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God. And I mean, it could just go back and forth all the different things they could say and argue about. And those are all just guesses. But when you really think through the history, there's a lot that could be said. Um, but it is arrogance, it's pride, it's competition. And, you know, here's a verse. Now, here's what I love about seeing these things in Jesus' life in the Gospels. I'm going to read you a verse out of Philippians 2, 3 that is a, a concept from the epistles. And, you know, I read this and I think, oh, yeah, really true. But, man, it means so much more to me when I see it in Jesus' life or the disciples or like King David in the Old Testament. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Well, the disciples are pretty much blowing up that entire verse, wham, in one fell, in one fell shot, right? But I love it. I'll read things like that in the epistles and I'll be like, ooh, yeah, I mean, great concept. But it takes on greater depth when I see it in, G- in Jesus' life or the disciples, right? So clearly right here, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, they're screwing that one up. Consider others better than yourselves. Not really. You know, they're thinking, oh, I'm the best, you know. So, so it's good to just unpack this. This is real sin, right? Now, so the question is, how does Jesus respond? So I want you to imagine how a really critical person a religious teacher, maybe kind of Pharisee type would respond to this and then how, look at the text over and over and if you, you need to reread it, Mark 9, 53 and on, how does Jesus respond? Hit the pause button and come back. So, and again, it's so important to do that. If you didn't do that, hit pause again now and go do it because the parts that the Holy Spirit will show you, those are more important than anything I'll say. Okay, if Jesus was like a Pharisee, right, and he had followers and they're violating kind of the core mandates of what he preached at the Sermon on the Mount or wherever else, you know, a Pharisee would start fault finding, start accusing. Didn't I tell you that you're supposed to be humble and now you're fighting amongst yourselves to be the greatest? I mean, how could you? Uh, A Pharisee would probably kind of overflow with a little condemnation, you know, maybe you're not going to make it. Maybe you don't have what it takes, you know, it could say all kinds of things and, um, and really motivate, uh, uh, the disciples with, with, with negativity and, uh, really motivate the way the devil does. And in our world, you know, you look at the world news. I mean, it's just accusation everywhere, no matter what political party, sports team. I mean, Hollywood does the same thing. There's just accusation, fault-finding, and criticism. And so we're inundated in it. So we need to get that out of our image of God and then figure out, okay, what is he doing here? So how did Jesus respond? Well, the great thing is Jesus does not have a meltdown. So he's basically saying, I want you to be great. Let me tell you how to do it. 
which is amazing. It's just this wonderful quality of patient instruction. And then he goes deeper than just, you know, direct kind of Western teaching. Let me tell you a, a sentence or two. He then, you know, takes this little child, puts him in the middle of him, puts his arms around him, he, sa he says, and he says, whoever welcomes one of these little ones, and he starts giving kind of a, a parable and experience of what it means to be the greatest and through this little child. And so he teaches them not just on the intellectual level, but with this living little parable of this little child about how to be great and how to enter the kingdom and how to interact with God, how to trust God. So it's fascinating to get a number of things out of your image of God, of your image of Jesus, and then really clearly identify what does he do. So the takeaway verse on this one is Colossians 1.15. It says the Son is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. So if Jesus shows you God, what did you see in Jesus and what does that show you about God? What does that show you about the Father? Hit pause, answer that question, come back. Well, I love... I love looking at this because you can say, wow, in the face of sin, of pride, of arrogance, of competition, Jesus shows me he's patiently instructing the disciples, those that are responding to him. That means that's what God's doing when we sin and fail. And, and, and that cleans up the condemnation in our mind sometimes about our image of God that we've gotten from this harsh world or looking at politics, or, again, the world news or... or people that have related to us in the workplace. I mean, there's some some parts of life, not all, they're harsh. And we can start thinking God's harsh because of the world we live in. But if you look at Jesus, what it shows you is God's patiently instructing us even when we're sinning and screwing up. And that just gives us a lot of room to come to him and connect with him, right? Because that way we can run to him when we sin instead of run from him. And that's the answer to overcoming weakness and sin in our lives. Running away to try to fix ourselves so that we can come back to God, that's never going to work, right? So that's the takeaway. What you see in Jesus shows you about God. Uh, on the worship without music section, I love music, but sometimes I don't always have it. What are worship statements you can write out of this passage directly to him? Not about him, but I like to go out on a 15-minute walk in the middle of work and just tell him things I like about him, things I love about him, things that are amazing. So can you create a statement or two about him, about what you enjoy about him, what you like about him from this? Hit pause, write that down and talk about it and come back. So I'll just take this out in a walk and say, Lord, you know what? I love the fact they're sinning. You don't have a meltdown. You don't stand up and, and point the finger and accuse them of what they're doing wrong. You don't act like a Pharisee. You sit down, you take a child in their midst, and, and you patiently instruct the disciples to actually help them become greater. And uh, just knowing that you're not moody, oh, that does everything for me in my life, and I can come closer to you in my life and when I screw up and fail rather than run from you. And I just think that's awesome. I love who you are. And so creating those worship statements uh, is an amazing thing. So that's the last part of what we do.
Again, uh, if you want the podcasts, search iTunes or Spotify for God is Just Like Jesus or YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, enjoy His goodness.